What up, family? It's episode 109 of The Genius Life. What up, everybody? Hope this episode of the show finds you in good health and in good spirits. I'm Max Lugavere, filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods, and the national bestseller, The Genius Life. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome a truly heavy hitter uh, in the health and nutrition space, David A. Kessler. He served as commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a.k.a. the FDA, under Presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. He's a pediatrician and has been the dean of the medical schools at Yale and the University of California, San Francisco. And his latest book is called Fast Carbs, Slow Carbs, The Simple Truth About Food, Weight, and Disease. This episode of the show is all about the very nature of food processing and how ultra-processed foods, above and beyond the calorie content that they possess, are in a way inherently fattening. Um, We also talk about uh, his views on cardiovascular disease, and he takes a very strong stance um, against a hotly debated topic in health discourse, cholesterol. And we also talk about the healthy at any size movement. And you get a guy who uh, has been steeped in public health policy for decades at this point, giving you his thoughts on whether or not you can truly be healthy Um, at any size, which is what some people, uh, especially on social media, seem to advocate these days. So we're going to talk about a lot. There's a lot of really good information um, in this episode. And through it all, I want you to remember to uh, think critically. This episode of the show is brought to you by my good friends at Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon makes a line of super tasty, high-protein, grain-free, sugar-free cereals. That's right, cereals. When was the last time you thought you could have cereal uh, while living the genius life? Well, I love Magic Spoon as a treat. It is it basically tastes like the cereals that I grew, you know, the cereal that I grew up with, cinnamon toast crunch, frosted flakes, but without any of the garbage ingredients. And um honestly, the cereals they taste amazing. It's like the equivalent of having a protein shake, but in the form of cereal. I love to throw some ice cold almond milk in there. And their new formulation actually the flavoring bleeds out like comes out into the milk so you get that if you go for their chocolate flavor you get chocolate flavored milk after uh after you've eaten all the cereals so it's super tasty it's a great way to boost your protein intake um i know uh, i was having a conversation with my friend sal over at mind pump who is also a big fan of magic spoon great way to hit your protein macros uh if you've got protein goals that you've that you've set for yourself um and uh And again, just super tasty as a treat. They've taken the place of any sort of like dessert for me after dinner. Um, If you'd like to try any of Magic Spoon's flavors, again, I I think my favorites are, I go back and forth. Sometimes I prefer the cinnamon. um, Other times I prefer frosted. They're all really, really tasty. You can go to magicspoon.com and use promo code Genius and you'll get to save uh, on shipping, free shipping, if you use promo code Genius at magicspoon.com. So head over there and... uh, yeah, thank you to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode of the show. All right, we're just seconds away uh, from my chat with pediatrician, author, former FDA commissioner, David Kessler. Uh, again, this is a, I mean, this is a really excellent conversation that we had. I'm excited for you to listen to it. But before we get to that, I want to show some love to 
Cat in San Fran, who left this glowing review of the show on iTunes. Cat in San Fran wrote, Max Lugavere's The Genius Life provides positive science-based, easy self-care tips from a wide variety of wellness practitioners who he invites to his podcast for each episode. Expect to be challenged, nurtured, challenged, nurtured, and motivated to make positive choices on your daily path moving forward. And check out Max's outstanding book, books, Genius Foods, and The Genius Life, which have helped me immensely. Thank you. Thank you, Kat and San Fran. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to leave that rating and review. Um, means a lot to me that, uh, you know, all this work that I put into the podcast, into writing my books is not in vain. And, um, and I just, I love hearing that. So thank you. And to all you guys out there who've taken the time to leave a rating and review, I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for spreading the word about what we're doing here. The show is growing week by week. It's just, it's so amazing to have new ears on the show and to see your responses on social media. It's incredible. Um, so just keep doing what you're doing. It's phenomenal. And, um, and it does not go unnoticed. So now, without further ado, let's dive in to this chat with uh, David A. Kessler, author of Fast Carbs, Slow Carbs, and um, yeah, let's do it. Well, Dr. David Kessler, thank you so much for being with me on The Genius Life. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to uh, to do a deep dive into um, your research and your background and uh, and to talk about your new book uh, called Fast Carbs, Slow Carbs. Um, this is very uh, apropos timing, I think, because I've recently just become very interested in what you write about um, in your book, and that is the nature of food processing and the, and the food system as it currently stands and how that's contributing to chronic disease and obesity and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited. I mean, why don't we begin with your background. I mean, you've got this uh, extensive history um, and uh, would love to just kind of share with my readers where you're, where you're coming from. So I'm a pediatrician, uh, was commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, uh, and went, while commissioner, uh, you know, engaged in some of the great uh, public health uh, issues. Uh, when I started uh, as FDA commissioner, there was only one um, drug for HIV uh, on the market. Uh, didn't work very well, and by the time I left, um, there were 17 drugs on the market. Uh, changed, uh, you know, not a cure, um, but uh, changed that from a death sentence. Uh, we also took on probably the most controversial battle um, that we had. Uh, was the battle against cigarettes uh, to try to regulate uh, cigarettes uh, as uh, drugs. And that led to a, a significant change in uh, public uh, health uh, over the last several decades. But one of the things we also did was, you know, when you pick up uh, packaged food or uh, almost any product in the supermarket, you see the nutrition facts label. Um, so we did that while uh, at FDA um, to give consumers uh, information. Uh, and a lot of uh, people uh, use that uh, every day. In some ways, it's become iconic. Um, but over the last several decades, uh, the issue is, you know, most Americans on average uh, continue uh, to gain weight. We have this epidemic of both pre-diabetes and uh, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Uh, so we really haven't gotten to the 
uh, really the root uh, of much of this metabolic chaos that we're inflicting on ourselves. So that was really the background in which I uh, decided to spend the last several years trying to get at the issue of why uh, why we, it's so hard uh, uh, to control our weight. Uh, I struggle with it personally. Yeah, I mean, I just want to commend you and, and everybody involved for the, the for the U.S. Nutrition's, nutrition facts label. I mean, we, we're so privileged today that, you know, we, we love to, to hate on the label for all of the, you know, um, I guess the, uh, uh, the shortcomings of the label, right? But, I mean, you really start to appreciate the U.S. nutrition facts label when you travel abroad. I mean, I get to travel a lot um, thanks to my, you know, to my work. And when I'm looking at food packages abroad, I really miss the clarity um, and the practicality of the nutrition facts label because, I mean, seemingly when I go to other countries, all I can see are the nutrition facts per 100 grams of food, which in my brain, I have no concept of how that's going to translate to what I'm actually ingesting. You know, that label, that nutrition facts label almost didn't happen. Uh, we had a fight, um, the food industry, uh, in fact, took it all the way uh, up uh, to the Oval Office because we wanted that nutrition facts information on all uh, processed uh, foods. Uh, and the industry, the Department of Agriculture, uh, fought us. Um, and I still remember, I mean, picture the scene. Uh, it was uh, President Bush, uh, the father, Dan Quayle, the vice president of the you know, United States, um, Marlon Fitzwater, the press secretary, James Baker, who was uh, chief of staff, uh, Madigan, who was secretary of agriculture, Sullivan, who was the secretary of HHS, uh, six guys uh, who've never cooked in their lives, uh, deciding the fate of the food label. Uh, at one point, the secretary of agriculture uh, said, Mr. President, uh, uh, you're not going to make uh, literally millions and millions of uh, packaged uh, food products and the entire food industry change all uh, those labels. And I had been with the, uh, the kids to McDonald's, and I, I don't know if you know, they used to have um, tray liners, uh, those paper tray liners on, uh, on the trays, uh, and we had worked with them and got the Nutrition Facts panel for some of their foods to, uh, on those tray liners and took out that tray liner, showed it to the president, and said, uh, Mr. President, if it's good enough uh, for McDonald's, it should be good enough for the Department of Agriculture. Um, and the president sided with us. And that's how uh, we got the Nutrition Facts panel. But you know, the Nutrition Facts panel, I think, uh, you know, while uh, certainly uh, increased transparency to a considerable extent, really missed the fundamental missing link uh, in our diet. You know, the Nutrition Facts panel focuses on calories, it focuses on fat, and it focuses on sugar. But that is not where the, certainly not the whole story. Hmm. Yeah. Um well, I definitely want to get into that. Where I think you're heading is the, the 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 fact that our food today has become ultra processed, and that an ultra processed food affects 
our biology, including our metabolism, a lot differently than, say, the same number of calories from a minimally processed food. Is that an accurate statement? That, that's exactly uh, correct. And you can't tell that uh, from uh, the food label. The other thing you can tell from the food label is um, where the major, uh, the missing link. I mean, it's no doubt that fat, sugar, and salt are key and they go to palatability. But look where most of the calories are coming from. I mean, the majority of calories are coming from starch. Hmm. And we consume you know, approximately a thousand calories a day. I mean, think hamburger buns, fries, uh, pizza dough, baked goods. Um, and it's not just the starch, but as you said, it's that ultra processing of that starch. So it's the starch and the sugar that together uh, and sort of endless eating throughout the day no one really asked scientifically, what's the effect of flooding our bodies with this constant stream of what that sugar and that starch end up being converted to, which is this rapidly absorbable glucose? And what's the biological effect I mean, of all that glucose that we're absorbing? You know, when... Uh, you know, hundreds of years ago when we worked in the fields or hunted uh, for our food and we were not in a positive energy balance, that we were lucky um, to have enough food uh, to eat, right? And where weight stayed, you know, either we were, you know, fighting to maintain our weight or weight was relatively stable. Processed, uh, you know, carbohydrates, you know, were not as big a problem. But now in the context of a positive energy balance, which most of us live in. I mean, again, this doesn't apply to everybody. There's about 15% of the population who, for whom uh, food uh, really uh, is not, uh, and weight is, is not much of a, a, an issue. Um, they just uh, eat uh, in order uh, to, to have uh, fuel, and they don't struggle with their weight. But for the vast majority of Americans, I mean, for whom weight uh, is an issue, uh, the, the fact is it's that starch and sugar, those fast carbs, that rapidly absorbable glucose, it's as if the poison were hiding in plain sight. Hmm. Wow. You know, I read an article, uh, I believe it was in the New York Times that um, posited, I, I forget what journal the article, you know, what's, what research the article was based on. Um, but it, it said that by the year 2030, half, one in two adults are going to be obese, not just overweight, but obese. And, the, you know, a, another I think it was one in four are going to be severely obese. Um, so, I mean, this is shocking. And the fact that 60 percent of our calories today now come from these foods that you're talking about, ultra processed foods. Um, it's clear that they are a major contributing factor to disease. So what, you know, we've been processing foods for hundreds of thousands of years, right? I mean, we've been cooking food, um, grinding our own uh, grains and things like that. What is it? about, you know, modern times, you know, what's changed over the past hundred years that's leading to 
this epidemic of, of obesity and, chronic, and associated chronic diseases? I, I think there's you know, several things um, that are different. One is, as, as we just talked about, that most of us are in this positive energy balance. So again, when I didn't have enough food, you know, this rapidly absorbable glucose didn't have as great effect. Now when I'm in this positive energy balance, right, add uh, rapidly absorbable glucose, this constant stream, you know, more calories than I need, more calories than I'm burning, right? I have to do something with that rapidly absorbable glucose. I, I can't just burn them. I can't just, the exercises uh, and, you know, the, the body functions are, are not going to use them all up. So when you add that rapidly absorbable glucose, those processed carbs, right, they drive, again, there's a number of different uh, mechanisms by, I think, which they, they, they work. But those uh, processed carbs, add that them um, to a pre-diabetic or, a di you know, even worse. I mean, people who have diabetes. And you're just adding fuel um, to the fire. I mean, many of our body, well, we've done this to ourselves, right? I mean, for the vast majority, our bodies are in metabolic chaos. Only about 12%. Uh, of us are metabolically healthy when you look at basic guidelines uh, for weight or blood lipids or blood pressure. So, and this is all the, the, the result uh, of right, in an environment of plenty, adding these processed carbs, this rapidly absorbable glucose. Uh, and and it, you see the, the, the mechanism, how, how these work is that they, um, first of all, processing uh, makes food soft. Uh, you don't have to chew. It goes down in a whoosh. Uh, it probably is related to eating rate. So I eat faster um, and I can, I can uh, uh, the, the eating rate, so I consume more. But the, the food gets absorbed so early on in the GI tract that that stimulates certain GI hormones that, stimulates my insulin, creates this insulin resistance. The insulin doesn't work as well. I get caught in this vicious cycle of hyperinsulinemia. But it's also that um, the foods get so rapidly absorbed, not only do I absorb 100% of the calories, but the food doesn't get down to the lower part of my GI tract, so I don't stimulate these other GI hormones that give me any sense of satiety or fullness. Uh, so I get caught in this, this vicious cycle, um, but no, make no mistake, it's this rapidly absorbable glucose that we're just flooding our bodies uh, with, uh, and it, it's become such a large part of our diet. I mean, you could almost have predicted that this would be the what would happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about how we became, as a country, this agricultural powerhouse. I mean, what's the backbone? of uh, our agricultural economy. I mean, it goes back uh, uh, to George Washington days. Go to Mount Vernon, look at the, uh, at the main house, and you can see um, the wheat uh, uh, carved uh, into uh, the ceiling with the hope 
that we would become the wheat, the grain provider to the world. <laughs> and what, we, what we've done is to take that kernel of wheat, which occurs, uh, you know, in a very packed granule, and through food processing, destroyed the structure of that food so that we increase the surface area so that it is rapidly absorbed, that it is absorbed higher in the GI tract that stimulates uh, uh, this hyperinsulinemia. Uh, that, again, wasn't a problem when we were uh, living, you know, barely had enough calories. But once we got to that tipping point where we had more calories that, that, that we uh, needed, uh, that really was... Uh, the poison in the diet. Wow. You know, I love talking to you because not only are you a, a scientist and a medical doctor, but you're just steeped in the public health implications of, um, you know, dietary guidelines and and ultimately food marketing and things like that. So to play, I, and, and I love, you know, that you're, that you express the nuance of this all being context uh, dependent. So what, I mean, what would you say to like, you know, skeptics who um, would argue that in a hypocaloric condition that there's, which you've, which you've already expressed, but in a hypocaloric condition that, you know, a, a, a processed food is not harmful. You know, it's merely a function uh, of calories in, calories out. You know, if you're, if you're eating too much, then it becomes a problem. But if you're just simply moderating your portions and there's nothing inherently wrong with eating a, a processed food? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure we know enough. Um, what's the effect of that rapidly absorbable glucose and bombarding, even in a hypocaloric state, this uh, constant rise, um, this rise and fall constantly? Mm -hmm. Uh, of uh, insulin. What, are the, what does that rapidly absorbable glucose do um, to the beta cells? You know, we always thought of the pancreas. We always thought that, okay, the pancreas can handle everything. But we're seeing insulin resistance, which is really when insulin, you know, stops uh, functioning as well as it should. We see insulin resistance not just in uh, obese, although that's certainly where there's a predominance, but you do see some insulin resistance in people who are thin. Hmm. And, you know, the, the, the thought, the, 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 the conventional wisdom was that uh, you became obese and then you became insulin resistant. I think there's some emerging science, and it's not clear yet, that this constant flooding of the body with rapidly absorbable glucose, which is the result of sugar, which is the result of process. Uh, starch, which is the result of this uh, processed uh, uh, starch and this ultra processing. I mean, I just think that um, there is a real toxicity that we're seeing from uh, having the diet uh, be these uh, literally uh, poisons to, um, to the uh, to the pancreatic cell. I mean, there's a real toxicity, there's glucose toxicity um, that I think can uh, put us at risk, whether you're obese or you're not, not obese. And I think that the, uh, what's happened was 
you know, we, the food industry, I mean, they deserve, you know, a lot of credit. Food is safer. It can be shipped over long distances. We can afford um, uh, food. There is not as much hunger um, as there was a uh, hundred years or, or 200 uh, years ago. But it's the destruction of the structure of the food. You just take that wheat kernel, you know, uh, look at the processing. I mean, look at how cereal uh, is, uh, is made, the kind of extrusion, the pressure, <laughs> the thermomechanical forces on that kernel that increase the surface area that make um, all that, that endosperm, that gold, if you uh, were, I mean, in that wheat <laughs> that we've been able to mine, that endosperm, that storage of that plant uh, that is pure energy, by um, processing it, you open up that kernel to such an extent that the surface area is such that our enzymes devour all of it I mean, in an instant, in a whoosh, and, and that has real effects on blood glucose and the downstream effects of insulin and hyperinsulinemia uh, and diabetes. Do we understand, I mean, this happens so fast in the body um, and simultaneously that it's hard sorting out exactly what uh, drives what. But I'm absolutely convinced for those of us who struggle with our weight, they were caught in this vicious cycle. Uh, of obesity, rapidly uh, processed, highly absorbable uh, glucose, uh, elevated uh, uh, blood glucose, elevated insulinemia, insulin resistance. We get caught in those vicious cycles. And that's why once you start struggling with your weight and gaining your weight, you find it very difficult um, to uh, keep it off. I mean, and we've done this to ourselves. This is a man-made epidemic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you also mentioned the fact that the mere processing affects satiety signals in the body. And of course, uh, the fact that these foods are often hyper palatable, like they're just difficult to, they take real mental muscle to moderate our consumption of these foods. Well, you know, it's, look at what drives that palatability. No doubt that that palatability is fat and sugar, fat and salt, fat, sugar, and salt. But what's the carrier of that fat, sugar, and salt? I mean, what's the, the, the base? I mean, you, you look at starch and you say, well, starch is this bland. You know, remember kindergarten, we used to play with starch and make it into paste and you know, it had virtually no taste. What the food industry has learned to do is to use that starch, actually to chemically modify it um, so it's functional, but to add fat and sugar and salt to that starch. But that starch is as much the problem, you know, uh, and you look at what's the driver of uh, obesity and, and, and diabetes, uh, it's not just the fat, sugar, and salt, it's the fat, sugar, and salt on that base of this endless amount of uh, starch, hamburger rolls, pizza dough, fries that we're consuming. One of the other holes that you poke in the, um, the, the obsession or I think the um, when, when people place too much focus on calories as the sole uh, metric by which they use to assess food quality, um, you point out in the book that not all of the calories that we consume are actually absorbed 
by us. And the mere processing of food dictates um, the proportion of calories that we will actually end up ultimately absorbing. Processed food, you can be sure you're absorbing 100% of the calories. I may eat uh, whole food I, uh, with, the, with the fiber uh, and the structure of the food relatively intact. Obviously, you have to have some cooking and some processing um, uh, to be able to uh, digest uh, and make the food palatable. But if you can get food to the lower part of your GI tract, um, you know, much of that fiber is not, I mean, that fiber is not absorbed. Uh, and there are resistant starches um, that are you know, transformed by the bacteria in the lower gut, but it's not a one-for-one one calorie consumption. But in processed foods, you, uh, uh, you can be sure for every calorie that enters your mouth, you're um, absorbing. That's not the case when uh, you're uh, eating foods or whole foods that have structure to it that are unprocessed. I think this is a great opportunity to bring up a study that uh, just came out, I believe, from the USDA, and they found that nuts have a significantly uh, lower calorie burden than was previously thought. Cashews, they um, detailed, have about 16% fewer calories. Walnuts have 21% fewer. Almonds have 32% fewer. And they did this, they, they found this by uh, a, a, a pretty gross study, but I mean, it needed to be done. They looked at the amount of calories that it was assumed that that subjects were consuming based on the amount of nuts that they consumed. And then they looked at their stool and they found that there was still a significant uh, proportion of, uh, there was a significant number of calories in the stool after consuming whole nuts. Um, and so it's amazing because if you just think about the calories count on, on your serving size, it it offers you nothing in terms of what may or may not be absorbed um, in your GI tract. And uh, yeah, just, just utterly fascinating. I mean, d d destroy the structure of the food, destroy the structure of the, the integrity of that food, right? And the food's gonna get more rapidly absorbed. Uh, leave some of that structure intact. Don't increase the surface area. I mean, the com it's complex. Uh, structural uh, you know, physiology um, in how enzymes can get into food and digest it and how quickly that can work. But if you can get food lower on to, down your GI tract um, uh, without it, because it's not been rapidly uh, processed, uh, you, you're certainly going to have increased uh, senses of fullness. Your GI hormones, the GLP-1s, will give you a, a greater sense of uh, satiety, and, and you're not going to be absorbing one for one the number of calories. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the that 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 recount doesn't apply to um, nut butters. Why? Because nut butters are processed because they're essentially pre-digested for you. But when you take the whole nut and you chew it, um, you, those you know you're you're leaving particles that, as you mentioned, you know remain undigested through the through the GI tract. And no one asked for the last 200 years, no one asked, well, what's the real effect of that processing? You know, we always, we divided food up into fat, into sugar, into complex carbohydrates, uh, into protein. But complex carbohydrate, uh, you know, it was just 
the, the, the chemical entity was what we were, were focusing on. We weren't focusing on the structure of the food and how that structure affected our physiology. Uh, and yet, you can't tell from looking at the food label. And this is this thing called carbohydrates, but you can't tell what percentage of that are processed uh, carbohydrates. In fact, you can't tell at all uh, what the extent of the, uh, the processing is. So let's uh, go into what, you know, what are some examples of fast carbs in the, in the modern food environment? And um, then on the flip side, some examples of slow carbs and the kinds of foods that you recommend uh, basing one's diet around. Right. You know, so um, virtually um, anything um, uh, in a uh, box you have to uh, assume um, is a has fast carbs uh, in them. The important thing is, uh, and you know, I will take some responsibilities. There, there's you know a lot of focus on sugar, and no doubt that sugar drives this, but it's all the starches as well as the sugar. That's where the processing is, and the reality is that much of that um, is flour. And, and it doesn't, you know, we talk about ultra processing, but, you know, most baked goods, um, that, that flour is going to be gelatinized and we're going to rapidly absorb it. Now, no one's going to cut out. I think it's impossible to say, um, you know, cut out all fast carbs, cut out all sugar, all starch. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the so, but the, the fact is that, that flour and starch uh, and sugar and all that white stuff uh, uh, does uh, add up, I mean, and convert into rapidly absorbable glucose. So what are you left with? Look, the, the, the best slow carb is vegetables and legumes, right? I mean, those are carbohydrates. Um, but there's there's uh, either less starch or there's structure. So the, those vegetables uh, and legumes, I mean, are clearly carbohydrates, but they are slowly digested uh, if they're digested at all, because they have high in fi- they're high in fiber. So you can be sure um, that uh, vegetables uh, and starches. Now there are certain grains that sure has not been uh, d- destroyed. Um, uh, you know, rye, buckwheat, uh, quinona uh, that um, do not have the amount of uh, rapidly absorbable glucose associated with them. Um, but the safest uh, slow carbs are vegetables and legumes. By vegetables. Love that. Um, you blow the lid off of the notion that uh, whole grain or whole wheat bread um you know, that these are, are actually health foods. Is it, is there any bread? Uh, I mean, I, I personally don't consume bread and if I do, it's going to be usually a bread made with a, you know, a coarse like almond flour or a coconut flour. But for people that, you know, that enjoy bread, I mean, what, what, what recommendation would you make? Is there, is there any safe bread? Well, there are breads that, you know, certain, um, bakeries are focusing on, a more whole intact uh, grains as uh, the components. Um, uh, the the uh, traditional German pumpernickel, uh, rye bread, not you know the the commercial uh, types, um, but that uh, bread that has 
that increased uh, density where that kernel has not just been pulverized. Um, that is uh, key. But you're right. I mean, it's just, you know, and I'm not saying you have to cut out all, uh, you know, all flour, all bread, but I think markedly cutting back, um, uh, especially if you struggle with weight, um, it's one of the reasons why, and we haven't, you know, talked about it, um, and I think they, they get a lot right. It's not the whole story. But this push toward low carb, right? I mean, I think that the the, the reason why um, low carb, when, certainly when you look uh, at weight, certainly if you look at treating uh, diabetes, the, the the best way to um, uh, treat a diabetic um, is to put them on a, a low carb uh, diet. Now, there's some important caveats what we mean by a low carb diet. But the reality is that flour um, that is making up that bread, that's adding to that rapidly absorbable glucose. Um, and we have to face that. Yeah. Well, what would those what would those I'm glad you brought up the low carb diet because a lot of my listeners, um, you know, are, are interested in low carb eating. What would you say some of those caveats are? Well, the, the, the issue is, you know, what do we agree on? What do we don't agree on? Okay. The one thing I think we can agree on, and I think most people in the nutrition community, and I think we've been very confusing, is we have to reduce uh, or eliminate rapidly absorbable um, glucose and reduce the amount of fast carbs. I think there's, I think I can probably get almost universal agreement among the nutrition community. They haven't come out and said it, hmm. but I think that's the first step. The problem is, what do you substitute if you cut that out? So um, I've spent a lot of time you know, studying not only weight, not only metabolic disease such as diabetes, um, but as a clinician, I care a lot about cardiovascular disease. And here's the rub. Here's where the complexity um, you know, increases exponentially. We can, if we put our minds to it, in our lifetimes, eliminate atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And that's a big statement, and I'm not one for, you know, engaging uh, in hype. We now know that um, the number of LDL particles, I'm, talking, I'm not talking specifically about cholesterol, because it's really not cholesterol, but the, our LDL number, more specifically something scientifically called ApoB, which is a protein on the surface of those LDL particles. I mean, we want to, you want to wipe out atherosclerotic heart disease or you want to get, this is always going to be some residual, but there'd be a 20, 30% residual uh, amount. But we could wipe out, just as we did with tobacco, right, and have an effect on lung cancer uh, and heart disease. If we can get everyone's LDL down in this country, we could basically see the vast majority of atherosclerotic heart disease disappear. So what does that mean from a nutrition perspective? I mean, how do you reduce LDL? So there's really two choices. Um, 
the, the most effective diet to reduce LDL is a vegetarian diet. And that reduces LDL by about, on average, it can reduce it uh, 40% or so. And now that may not uh, be enough. And for some people um, to get their LDL down even more significantly, they want to go on drugs and you know, so be it uh, for them. The problem with the low carb community is that many of them have also embraced the idea that cut out low carbs, cut out fast carbs, right? go low carb, but you can eat as much saturated fat as you want. And the problem with that, when you look at the clinical data, it's that saturated fat either keeps your LDL pretty flat or increases it somewhere between on average, about 10%. Some people are more, you know, as up to 30%. So I, my goal as a clinician is to get everyone's LDL down if we want to wipe out cardiovascular disease. And saturated fat is certainly not going in that direction. Now, my first priority is to cut out all these fast carbs. But I think that at the end of the day, if there's three simple, and that's, this is the purpose, I mean, of the book. I mean, if they're... Um, uh, there's three simple things that you can do to dramatically affect your health. And I'm not talking uh, about any puffery. These are things that could transform health uh, in the United States. You know, markedly reduced fast carbs, lower LDL, and engage in uh, moderate intensity exercise to keep your insulin sensitivity. If we all did those three things, now, again, they take different strategies to do each one. Um, and the problem with diets is they tend to focus on one thing, reduce this, reduce fast carbs. But you can't just do that. You, you have to also watch your LDL. And if you're L, you want to, I mean, if you see uh, your LDL go up, you have to address it. The, the, the way you can reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease, of heart attacks, I mean, and stroke, uh, getting your LDL down is absolutely key. We now know that uh, the number of LDL particles is causal uh, as it relates to heart disease. And if, uh, I, mean, get, I mean, eliminate fast carbs, but if you're eating saturated fat and your LDL is not, uh, is not down, um, you know, pretty low, um, you need to go see your doctor and adjust, get that adjusted. Now, you you brought up the number of particles. So when people are looking at um, their labs, for example, uh, what specifically are we, what, what numbers are we specifically talking about? Are we talking about the LDLP? So, the, um, again, people are not going to uh, LDLP, ApoB, um, that's the, you know, I, I don't think we're going to make people uh, into um, lipidologists, nor, nor should they be. Um, but I think, you know, and this may be aggressive, but if you can get LDL uh, and LDLC down, which is I mean, a common measurement, uh, down certainly below 100, uh, if not, and if you're at risk factors down to 70, I mean, that's the real goal. I mean, talk to any cardiologist and they will privately tell you that they're monitoring 
moderating their LDL uh, numbers. LDLP, APOB, those are for the researchers. Just get your LDL down. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I would place myself in the in the camp of people who advocate for low, you know, low carb diets, and I've never been. Um, you know, I've never advocated for consumption of, you know, excessive amounts of saturated fat because I'm, I'm with you, you know, and people are different. People have different genes that dictate how they metabolize these fats and, and you know, what these fats are going to do to their lipids. So I think that's a, that's a you know, I, I like that, um, that recommendation. What does the source of saturated fat uh, matter in your view? I mean, you know, you take a, so I, yeah, sorry. No, I, I'm interrupting you. I apologize. Well, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I was smart enough. Some of the epidemiology tends to uh, suggest that dairy uh, doesn't have the same kind of burden. But the, the overall goal is again get your LDL down. The fact is, the lower you get your LDL, the lower you can um, your risk will be. I mean, every time we do another clinical study, and this all comes from the, you know, the large clinical studies that we mandated when I was at FDA um, to study cardiovascular drug. And I, I'm not here pushing pharmaceutical uh, products. That's not. That's the last thing that I do. Um, uh, but the fact is, when you look at the clinical data. The lower you get LDL, the lower the risk. And it keeps on going. It's dramatic. And it's not just statin. It's other lipid-lowering uh, drugs, the newer lipid-lowering drugs. You get LDL down. And now I have some questions about safety. I mean, down in the 20, 30 range, there doesn't seem to be any uh, major effects. I mean, there are some, some concerns, some signals maybe here or there, but they haven't been borne out. But for the, you know, the majority of us, we get our LDL down um, either by diet or by pharmacology. I don't care, but let's, if we can get our LDLs down, we can wipe out cardiovascular, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Very interesting. Um, going back to slow carbs, there is a role for uh, fibrous non-starchy, um, fiber-containing fruits and vegetables uh, in the lowering of LDL cholesterol, right? Isn't there, uh, when we consume higher fiber foods, don't they have the effect of, of being able to trap LDL in the gut so that we pass it? Exactly. Um, and, I mean, if there is any hero um, uh, in this nutrition world, in this modern environment of positive energy balance where our bodies are in metabolic chaos. It's the natural fiber in food. Now, I'm not a big believer in, you know, just taking processed foods and adding some soluble fiber to it and saying it's high fiber. That's not what I'm talking about. I think those are gimmicky and that's not where I want to go. But as part of the structure of foods, you are, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I love the mechanism there. I, I mean, if you could explain it, that would be that would be amazing. When we eat high fiber foods, basically, it causes this release of, uh, or they they the fibers essentially trap bile acids, um, which disallows LDL, which is used to create these acids, right from from getting resorbed. Is that is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the, the the fatty acids, I mean, um, are certainly a part of uh, that LDL. Much of the LDL is is made internally, uh, and we used to think it was just cholesterol that was the problem. It's really not cholesterol. It's the LDL particle. Um, you know, the, certainly cholesterol is a part of that uh, particle. But you're right. You decrease um, those saturated fatty acids. Um, from entering, uh, being absorbed, I mean, through that fiber, trapping those fatty acids, uh, you're you're going to uh, be able to lower your LDL. Now, whether that's enough, clinically, um, you know, the, the the problem we have is, you know, and I've you know I've talked to the great cardiologists. The, 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 you know, the statins and those drugs are very powerful. Um, the fact is you can't, uh, I wish I could just tell you to worry about one uh, nutrient, but that's just not, uh, when you have diseases that are as diverse as obesity and diabetes and atherosclerotic heart disease, there are a number of factors um, that go into that etiology. Just to play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, like, LDL is is being made by our livers uh, on a constant basis. Um, the w- I mean, the way you talk about LDL, it, it makes it sound like it's all bad. But isn't LDL something that we need to, to sustain life? You, the LDL particle is, is in fact a garbage particle. Uh, you don't need that. Now, you may be thinking about cholesterol um, that goes into certain membrane formation, uh, and other lipids, but the LDL particle, you don't need. Uh, in fact, people uh, who are born um, without um, uh, them uh, have virtually no cardiovascular disease. Those who have uh, uh, what's something called a beta uh, lipoproteinemia. Super interesting. Well, lots lots of food for thought. Um, in the book, uh, Fast Carbs, Slow Carbs, you also um, talk about the healthy at any size movement. Uh, and it becomes clear pretty quickly that you're not you're not a big fan of that uh, messaging. Can you talk a little bit about that? I would love uh, to be able to reassure reassure people um, that you can be obese and you can be healthy. Um, and I wish I could reassure myself uh, of that. Um, that you know, I mean, at a certain point in your life, that may be true. Uh, but when you st- study the data, and I have done this as we age, that catches up with us. Um, And I think that that excess uh, energy uh, that uh, we carry around really has uh, profound uh, complications, especially uh, over decades of carrying that excess weight. Very interesting. Yeah, there's I mean, there's definitely a a push online, uh, you know, on social media, I think, to, um, you know, for for body. uh, Well, there seems to be two conflate conflating ideas that are that are becoming increasingly conflated. One that um, there is you can be healthy at any size, but then also that you you know, that that there's this moral uh, you know, f- factor that's thrown into the mix. And I think, um, you know, it, it ta- it's a conversation that requires nuance. Nobody should be shamed for their, uh, for their weight, obviously, because they, I think most people, um, 
have, well, as you talk about, you know, have inherited a food environment that basically implores them to overeat at every turn. But uh, that being said, I think we need to take accountability for our for our health and, um, you know, get shifting our weight to a more positive um, state is an important part of that, that prescription. Yeah. You know, I, I am um, the first one. And I think um, real, real concern um, that, uh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely imperative that we, this is not a, a moral judgment. This is not a failing. Um, you know, I mean, uh, my struggle with weight you know, occurred, began when I laid down uh, those uh, neural pathways uh, that responded to food and during my childhood and uh, my adolescence. Um, this is not a moral uh, fail. Um, and I don't think we've made it simple for people. I mean, the, the fact is that the vast majority of what we consume, I mean, is the problem. Uh, again, wasn't a problem when we you know, didn't have enough food to eat, but in an environment of plenty, um, this, what we're talking about, these fast carbs are the poison in the diet. And poison. that's not a fault of anybody. Um, uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, that's something that we really have not put front and center uh, and leveled uh, with uh, the uh, American uh, public. Lay down those wires um, that have me to respond to fat, sugar, and soul where I'm cued and triggered um, and have those brain uh, uh, pathways where it's the way I calm myself um, and, you know, then it's the way I, I get uh, triggered. You know, I, I, I focus on that chocolate chip cookie. Um, that's going to make me feel better. I want it. I can't get that thought out of my head. What am I going to, you know, I always find myself thinking about something I want to eat while I'm eating something else and what I'm going to eat next. And, uh, you know, th those are pathways that get laid down. That's not uh, a moral failing. Um, that's the result of conditioning and what we've done to ourselves. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, we're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you one question, just because I'm not I'm not actually sure if you cover it in your book, but I would be curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, your thoughts on uh, the the organic versus conventional um, movement in regard to uh, produce, you know, because we're advocating for the consumption of pro, you know fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. Do you have any uh, dog in that fight? I mean, or, or perspective on the matter? No, I, I think eating whole foods. Um, I think uh, uh, eating minimally processed foods is uh, is the key. Eating vegetables, uh, uh, legumes. Uh, I think that's what's key. No doubt. I mean, if you can afford it, um, you know uh, how that food is grown uh, in the environment. What pesticides are used, those things are always uh, important. But I think the first step is to cut out the processing um, and at least get to that step. And if we can even do that, um, we can change the health of this country.
Yeah, that's um, I, I would agree with you there. Um, and then exercise. You uh, you do talk in the book about exercise. Um, do you have a specific recommendation, or is it more just whatever form of exercise you most enjoy? Just get out there and do it. The other thing that is absolutely clear, um, and it's important for a number of reasons, you can't maintain any weight loss without exercise. I mean, that's just the the fact is that that exercise acts as the safety valve that burns those excess calories um, that you're taking in. After you've lost weight, you're a smaller uh, furnace, um, and that gives at least a sink to where those uh, calories can go. But more importantly, exercise maintains insulin sensitivity uh, and insulin working, uh, and that is key to metabolic health. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think to start any form of exercise is good, but the reality is you need to achieve in order to maintain that insulin sensitivity. And I know this is hard. You take somebody who is significantly overweight and you say, go engage in moderate intensity exercise and they have every right to look at me like, who do you think you are? Um, but I will tell you in the end of the day to maintain insulin sensitivity, some form of moderate intensity exercise, whatever that is, um, is key. Um, but that probably means breaking a sweat while you do it. Um, and, uh, that is absolutely, that's as important as, uh, any of the other recommendations. Reduce, uh, fast carbs, lower your LDL, engage in moderate intensity exercise. Boy, we can become much healthier if we focus on those three takeaways. Yeah, I love it. Such such great takeaways. Um, I guess finally, the the I mean, the last question. Um, going back to the you know the LDL and your view and your views on that. Um, animal. Protein, things like that. I know in the book you have you actually you advocate for meals, so it's clear that you're not advocating that people jump on like a vegetarian or vegan bandwagon. Um, do you personally do you consume meat, things like that? I do, um, but I'm very focused on not uh, eating processed um, uh, foods to the extent that that's possible. Uh, and I am very, um, you know, f I focus on, on, on my LDL and, um, I'm out there exercising a good five days, uh, a week. I think the, the people should have choices, uh, and you want to lower your LDL more, um, uh, you know, a vegetarian diet, um, certainly is going to, uh, do that. So if you were talking about an optimal diet, and I don't, you know, I don't think such a thing exists, um, and you, as long as you cut out those fast carbs, you want to get your LDL diet, no doubt a vegetarian diet uh, can do that. But there are unhealthy vegetarian diets that are higher in fast carbs and, and fried foods. So just saying something is vegetarian um, doesn't uh, mean uh, that it's necessarily healthy. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, well, we are just about out of time. Where can uh, listeners pick up your book, um, for one? Well, and then if they want to reach out or find you on, on the Internet, are you on social media, et cetera, et cetera? Max, it's been great to be on, and uh, I, I really appreciate 
um, the kind of in-depth discussion and your understanding that there are no simple solutions here and there are many nuances, uh, but there's a real opportunity to affect people's health and um, get the word out and make it clear, make it simple. Uh, what, you know, there's things that we don't know, but there are things that uh, we do know. So the, the book has uh, just come out uh, uh, last day uh, in March. It's available uh, for on, you know, from all uh, the traditional booksellers online. Yeah, it's a great book. And it's not just a diet book. I mean, you really go into the science and um, you're very tempered in your in your recommendations. I like that you present both sides. Uh, I noticed there was a, a, a healthy debate on the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. Uh, but then you were very quick to state that that hasn't really been, you know, that there's there's debate even within the uh, obesity research community that um, refutes the you know, the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. So it's a, it's a really great book. And, uh, and I also appreciate that the chapters are short. So you can, um, for, for people with limited attention spans like myself, I mean, it's great. You can, you can, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a very easy read, um, for a book that is so packed with, with science. I appreciate that. The, the goal was to cut through all that noise. There's a lot we don't know. Um, but can we really take advantage uh, of what we do know. And, you know, there's an enormous opportunity for those of us who've struggled for decades uh, with the weight and metabolic uh, conditions and hypertension and elevated uh, lipids. Uh, we really can affect our health dramatically. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right. Well, Dr. Kessler, uh, the last question that gets asked to everybody on The Genius Life is a more philosophical question. You can take it wherever you'd like. What does it mean to you to live a genius life? Yeah, to me, the, the great opportunity is to ask questions uh, and try to seek answers uh, and try to um, see if we can um, do that in a way that the uh, can be of benefit to others. So, you know, my life has always been uh, about uh, uh, public health and, uh, you know, some of the great opportunities. Uh, was involved in the battle on tobacco. Uh, and I think this, uh, this battle uh, about regaining control of the metabolic chaos and what we've done to our bodies uh, uh, and, and uh, try to make ourselves healthier, I think it's asking question and trying to get the answers. Uh, that's to me uh, what the, the genius life was about. I love that. And I would add to that, remain uh, open-minded and always be willing to challenge your uh, beliefs and assumptions. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Dr. Kessler, for being here with me. And to all you out there in uh, the ether, thank you for listening to The Genius Life. As always, I value your time and attention, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.